Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There is a lot going on in the news these days, isn't there? Think of yesterday, just this week, uh, the entire week with the end of the Supreme Court term and many, many important rulings coming out. And then the bombshell yesterday that Justice Anthony Kennedy, who is often playing the role of the swing vote on the Supreme Court, is going to retire, giving President Donald Trump his second appointment to the Supreme Court. We want to talk today about legislative redistricting, gerrymandering, and the effect it has on race. And then a little later, we are going to talk about a wonderful art exhibit that is here in Detroit that takes a look at the question of how African-American men can rest ever in a society that treats them the way America does. But we also want to open up the phone lines and the conversation to just the headlines that we are seeing in America right now, the things that uh, everyone is talking about on social media and on television and radio. What do you think of Justice Kennedy's decision to retire from the Supreme Court? What do you think about Donald Trump getting yet another appointment to that Supreme Court. Uh, What do you think about what Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, did in the waning days of the Obama administration to kind of thieve that Supreme Court seat that uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch has from Barack Obama? All of these decisions really depend on that having happened. So all hour today, we really want to open up the lines to people who want to talk about the things that are going on and tell us what you think ought to be done. If you're really disturbed by what's going on and the sort of threat to things that you may hold dear, what do you think is the way to push back? What should Democrats be doing? What should people who consider themselves liberals or leftists be thinking about and doing to counter what seems to be a Republican majority that is gaining steam under the rule of Donald Trump. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can always also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Up first today, though, when we look at our legislative districts here in Michigan, it is hard not to come away with the idea that they are drawn in really devious ways. Let's start with politics. They are drawn to ensure that Republicans win the majority of the 14 seats, no matter what the issues are, and in some cases, maybe no matter who the candidates are. But then let's look a little deeper. Let's look at race, for instance. And let's look at the 14th Congressional District, which is one of two majority-minority districts we have here in Michigan. It looks like a seahorse got hit by a truck. It stretches from the riverfront all the way up to Pontiac, swerving and cutting across Detroit and wildly around Oakland County to pretty much include every community with significant minority populations in that county. This is what a lot of political scientists call packing, the practice of putting as many voters of a certain persuasion as you can in one district so that there are fewer of them in other districts. Then there's the sort of correlative practice of cracking, which means the party drawing legislative lines dilutes the voting power of the opposing party supporters across many districts. 
Michigan Republicans who oppose reforming the way that we draw our legislative lines here in Michigan, they say this isn't about politics. They say this is uh, about the Voting Rights Act, which requires minority, uh, majority minority districts be drawn under certain circumstances. In some ways, it doesn't really matter what the Republican majority says about this map. It's about what that map produces, and particularly what it produces for voters of color. Think of the disaggregated community we see in legislative districts like the 14th. Think of the diluted voting power we see in other districts. Here to talk about how gerrymandering plays into the question of voting rights for people of color is Michael McDonald. He's an associate professor of political science at the University of Florida and co-principal investigator on the public mapping project, which is a project to encourage more public participation in redistricting. Michael McDonald, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Yeah. So as I described our situation here in in Michigan, the sort of packing that goes on in one district, the cracking that goes on in another, uh, talk a little about how that bumps up against considerations of race, how it bumps up against uh, those considerations in terms of the Voting Rights Act, which is what Republicans in this state would say is causing the map to look the way it does. But then talk about the way it bumps up against those voting rights considerations in terms of making sure that people of color have their voices heard at the ballot box. Yeah, so um, I have not looked closely at the 14th Congressional District in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, since you've raised it, I want to comment a little bit on it. Um, One of the things that we need to be aware of, though, is that the shape of a district doesn't necessarily indicate nefarious intent. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. A district may be shaped in an odd uh, configuration uh, to comply with the Voting Rights Act. And sometimes minority communities aren't nicely compactly arranged with uh, one another, and it would be possible to crack minority communities, split them into different districts, um, if the district wasn't at least somewhat oddly shaped. Now, that said, um, you can't go too far. There has to be a justification um, to promote uh, the ability for minority um, communities to elect a candidate of their choice to draw a district in an odd shape. And this is longstanding um, uh, Supreme Court decisions, and even uh, just most recently, as we think about Kennedy and his retirement, um, in the Texas litigation, while there was a lot of concern about uh, that the Supreme Court had somehow undermined the um, Voting Rights Act, there was one important part of that, which is all but two of the justices supported a finding of a lower court that um, there was a Texas state legislative district that was in violation of the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still a broad majority on the Supreme Court, even with Kennedy's retirement, um, to support at least some aspects, uh, a particular part of it called Section 2 mm-hmm. of the Voting Rights Act. So I think that's safe with Kennedy's retirement. But um, going back to this issue of the 14th Congressional District, if more minorities were um, shoved into that district than were needed in order to elect a minority candidate of choice, then the district becomes suspect. Mm-hmm. Then race in the lingo of the courts was used as a predominant factor in the creation of that district. And I was part of a litigation team that overturned the Virginia congressional districts as a uh, unlawful partisan gerrymander on that very issue. Mm-hmm. Um, a district had been created to 
elect an African-American candidate of choice, the third congressional district, but the Republicans in the state legislature went above what they needed. And they, um, in order to elect that candidate of choice, they, they continued to pack African-Americans into the district. And the court said, no, you can't do that. And so, I, again, I haven't looked closely at the 14th congressional district, but the issues that the uh, courts raised in uh, Virginia and the Supreme Court uh, affirmed in a decision. And then um, just recently, uh, um, a lower court has overturned the state legislative districts in um, in Virginia as a similar sort of packing racial gerrymander. And the courts have found in Alabama something similar. Those things could be true. Um, and so what you need to do are some analyses and the, the, the state needs to justify why they're drawing the district in the way in which they are in order to say that, yes, we are being in compliance with the Voting Rights Act. So shape, not necessarily indicative of nefarious intent, mm -hmm. but it's, it's really putting more of a minority community within the district than is needed to satisfy the Voting Rights Act. That's when things become suspect. Yeah. And, and of course, the, there are a number of considerations at work here, right? So the, the party that's in control in, in any given state is trying to maximize its own power uh, and, and draw a map that will ensure that it gets the majority of seats. And, and then you have, of course, uh, the Voting Rights Act, and which which restrains them from doing some things, as you say, uh, but but you also have this this dynamic uh, that that uh, that reaches far back in our history, and which which makes uh, black voters more likely to vote for one party or another. Uh, and I guess it's the mix of those things that that I think we we end up seeing play out in, in very strange ways in places like Michigan and Virginia, Maryland, a place I lived for a very long time where Democrats uh, are responsible for doing some of the same things we see Republicans doing here uh, in the state of Michigan. And and I guess the, the, the question is uh, what the solution is uh, to that. And, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about here in the state of Michigan this fall. We are going to have a ballot initiative that would allow us to put this decision in uh, in the hands of an independent commission as opposed to the legislature. But I wonder what you feel like some of the solutions look like to this kind of uh, manipulation of the, of, of the voting process. So I'm also involved in the Maryland litigation mm -hmm. um, as a, working with the plaintiffs in that case. And we hope, although we now have lost Kennedy, so uh, I don't know how you know, well-founded that hope is, but uh, we hope that uh, the First Amendment claim that's being made against a single district in Maryland um, will be um, uh, something that the Supreme Court will accept. Mm -hmm. um, but now we have to uh, see what's going to happen here because Kennedy has been the swing vote on these uh, issues. And so we don't know if Maybe Roberts uh, um, will come along and, and support that. He, there were some indications in the Wisconsin gerrymandering case that mm -hmm. um, he may, you know, there's a, a much broader coalition in the Supreme Court for First Amendment um, claim on gerrymandering against single districts, not an entire re redistricting plan. So, you know, all this is still unsettled, and it's just more unsettled with Kennedy's departure. So yeah. if, if the Supreme Court's not the... Um, uh, the solution here, it's going to come from state reform. And here again, we actually have some real problems with uh, Kennedy's departure, because in a 
um, 5-4 decision where Kennedy joined with the liberal justices, um, he sided with those liberals, um, uh, basically <laughs> smacking down a challenge to the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission. That was a commission that both draws the state legislative and congressional districts, and the um, plaintiffs in that case were uh, saying that, well, this commission can't draw um, congressional districts because that's an authority that's given to the legislature by Article One, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. Right. And, you know, fortunately, again, we that, it, that commission survived a challenge, but it, it was a very narrow win of 5-4 with Kennedy joining the liberals. And if we have a replacement um, and the other four uh, justices um, continue um, voting in a way which they do, there could now be a coalition to say any time um, a legislature is not involved in the creation of a commission or anything else by a ballot initiative process, then that um, is uh, in violation as it is respect to federal elections, both House of Representatives and Senate, um, although I'm talking more broadly about any election law, um, that would be unconstitutional under Article 1, Section 4, and that law would have to be overturned. Um, and so that affects then what's happening in Michigan, because there's a ballot initiative on it to, mm -hmm. to do uh, redistricting reform. And um, it may be that that initiative is in violation of Article 1, Section 4 under a reconstituted Supreme Court uh, with a new Kennedy replacement. Mm -hmm. um, and again, as I alluded to, this is about uh, any um, law that's been adopted um, through a ballot initiative. And so if you look back in time, primary elections have been adopted through ballot initiatives, um, you know, some really esoteric stuff like uh, Arkansas using election machines. That was actually through a ballot initiative. Um, uh, um, and then, you know, more recently, uh, things like uh, um, uh, Oregon's all-male ballot elections, that was through a ballot initiative. Uh, Maine's ranked choice voting, which uh, garnered a lot of interest recently, that was through a ballot initiative. Um, so any of that, as it applies to a federal election, kind of uh, House risk. of Representatives or Senate, could be at risk here with Kennedy's retirement. Okay. Uh, Michael McDonald, I know you have to run to another engagement, but I really want to thank you for being here and helping us uh, understand this issue. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Um, welcome to do it. Thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to continue the conversation here about not just gerrymandering, how we draw legislative lines uh, in the state of Michigan, but also talking about Anthony Kennedy, the justice who yesterday said he is going to retire from the Supreme Court, handing Donald Trump yet another appointment to the Supreme Court. Uh, Supreme Court appointments, of course, are the lasting legacy of any presidency. It's the one thing they can do that can last far, far, far longer than any piece of legislation or appointment uh, that they make. Donald Trump has already appointed Neil Gorsuch to a seat that Barack Obama tried to put Merrick Garland into. Uh, that led to a lot of the rulings that we just saw this week at the end of the Supreme Court term that have upset people on the left side of the political spectrum. What are we going to expect if President Trump gets another appointment to the court. Does it move it further to the right? Does it put all kinds of things that you think of as important American principles 
in jeopardy? If so, tell us what they are and tell us what you want to do about it. This is the question that I think is most pressing for people who oppose the agenda of Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and other Republicans. What's the solution to the power that they have amassed? In some cases, through uh, practices that aren't Uh, according to what we would say the rules look like, in some cases according to rules that favor minority whim over majority. Think about the fact that Donald Trump didn't win the majority of votes in the 2016 election and yet has all of this power now on his desk and in front of him. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019, as always, is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Michael in Sterling Heights. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just going to say, it doesn't really matter how many justices uh, Trump gets to replace. He could replace all nine, you know, before his presidency is done. Um, the key is we just take the Congress and the presidency, and then we have a repeat of, you know, the Judicial Circuits Act of 1866 or, you know, the act that was passed in 1863 or 1807. Um, the country started with six justices. Mm-hmm. Then it went up to seven. Then it went up to nine then went up to 10, then back down to 7, then up to 9. So we just need to pass another bill to say, make it 21 or make it 5 <laughs> or whatever we want, you know. And I know Democrats are going to be kind of scared to slippery slope, but the Congress in the past wasn't scared. Yeah. In fact, three of those times happened in a matter of six years. Yeah. It, Michael. It went up to uh, 7, then 18, no, I'm sorry, 9, then uh, 1866, it went up to down to seven, and then back up. And yeah, uh, no, I mean that that history is really important, but it's also quite old. And we've had nine justices for at least most of the modern political era in this country. I guess my question for you, Michael, is what? How do we get Democrats and people who think that way about the things that are going on? How do you get them to vote? Uh, I'm sure you're somebody who. Make sure that you get to the polls every time you have a chance and cast your ballot and make your decision. But think of the number of people who don't and think of the things that have happened because of people not turning out to vote. The 2016 election uh, saw lots of Democrats, people who tend to vote Democrat at least, here in the state of Michigan, sit home. And that was why Donald Trump was able to win the state. What What do you think we ought to be doing to turn that tide in a way that you say – You can take back a House in Congress or maybe both houses of Congress uh, and then maybe actually win the presidency. What what are your ideas there, Michael? Well, I mean, it's not an impossibility. We in in Obama's term, we had a supermajority, which means we could have passed anything we wanted Mm -hmm. and we had the presidency. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it can happen. And then just look at, you know, how these candidates are handling things right now. Um, you have uh, Alexandria in New York. She, you know, unseated a Democrat, you know, um, in the primary who was thought to be a shoe in and he's like a top guy, and she did it by grassroots. And then you have Ben Jealous, grassroots. You have a lot of people that are just, you know, actually talking to their constituents. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Republicans are getting replaced too because their constituents are saying, you know what, when was the last time you actually asked me, you know, what you, 
what I want. Yeah. And, you know, progressives yeah. are, you know, taking over. Michael, uh, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Thanks very much. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully what you say is maybe happening is going to happen. And I think the idea of people getting more involved and deciding to cast their votes is key to, to all of those uh, things changing. Again, thanks very much for the call. Uh, Mary in Ann Arbor, you're up next on Detroit Today. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Hi. Um, uh-huh. I totally agree with Michael about the importance of the grassroots. Um, lots of hand-wringing from liberals in the last 48 hours about what to do and, you know, the repeat the repeated mantra, we have to, you know, go vote, go vote. We have to do so much more than that. Anybody who cares about these issues needs to be thinking now about literally what kind of time are they going to spend this summer and this fall mm-hmm. um, to work for candidates that they support, work on grassroots efforts, um, voters, not politicians, which is mounting the anti-gerrymandering ballot measure here in Michigan. They need volunteers and money just as importantly, if not more importantly, based on what Michael McDonald just commented on, there's another incredibly important initiative for which signatures are going to be turned in soon to the Board of Canvassers, and that's called Promote the Vote. And that is a measure to, that would also be a constitutional amendment on November's ballot mm-hmm. that would seek to modernize Michigan's voting system yes. to allow things that many other states are doing without any problem, Republican and Democrat states, Things like no excuse or no reason absentee voting, um, earlier registration, up to same day registration, um, ensuring that voters still have the option, retain the option to vote the straight party ticket if they want to, automatic registration at the Secretary of State's office unless a constituent declines that. These are things that many, many other states already have. Are already doing, yeah. Michigan lags behind tremendously. for anybody who's not driving a car right now, you should be going online and looking up promotethevotemi.com mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to sign up um, for information from there. Same thing with voters, not politicians. But we're all going to have to do a lot more um, than we might normally do. And that's, uh, you know, unfortunately, since the election, we've had hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who've been very involved in um, their communities in a way yeah. that they have never been involved huge and important opportunity that remains this coming Saturday. 22 cities in Michigan will be rallying in support of family reunification Uh um, and against the Trump administration's policies separating immigrant children um, from their parents at the border. That issue is not dead. We've had an important court victory this week um, with the federal court in California saying to the Trump administration, got to reunite these families. You've got to do it. And here are the dates by which you do it. This is not done by any means. And I think that we can't kid ourselves that there is no rationality. There's no reasonableness on the other side here. Uh, the administration is brutal. Um, it's going to do what it can. It's going to do whatever is within its, its its grasp. And I think that's the, the 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 point that has to sink in finally with Democrats and people who consider themselves liberals is 
the, you are yesterday on the program we had a, a conversation with Richard Primus, the constitutional law expert from University of Michigan, where he compared it to a street basketball game that's not refereed, but one team is taking liberty with the rules. Uh, th- that only works when you have both sides saying, "Here are the rules, and we're going to abide by them because we respect the game and want to keep the game going." It does seem as though Republicans are saying. Uh, the, the the game can be sacrificed for our side to win. And if we have to break the rules to do that, we will do it. It's one of those lessons that I think comes out of this week and the last two years, really. Mary and Ann Arbor, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go quickly to Brandon in Birmingham. Brandon, welcome to Detroit today. Or Brendan, I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Stephen. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to talk about the uh, gerrymandered districts just from a personal level uh we used to live my family used to live in uh uh, district 14 in lathrop village which is uh like you say it's a strangely drawn district Mm -hmm. and you would wonder how it got that you know far north uh then our family moved two miles away into birmingham on 14 mile uh and suddenly we're in the 11th district (laughs) right (laughs) which you know from our perspective we moved two miles away we're still in the same community uh, still keep in touch with all of our neighbors and obviously have all the same friends and still live the same life and still live in the same community. Um, but when you look at a uh, the district map and you look at uh, the political um, you know nature of those two districts, it's like we moved into a different world. Right. right. And you would never know that uh, from just your your personal observations on on the ground. So it kind of shows you how insidious the the district drawing is and you know um over the last two years there's been a lot of activism obviously and a lot of people going to town hall meetings to try to affect change well if you're in the 14th if you're in the 11th district and you want to go to a town hall meeting those are held in white lake Mm -hmm. uh you know so you you may live in birmingham you may want to get in go to a town hall meeting or get in touch with David Trott, and you you look, you you find where he has his office, he's located it in White Lake. So, you know, the 11th district is kind of a corollary of the 14th district. Of the 14th, right. You wouldn't have... absolutely no sense. Yeah, you wouldn't have one without uh, without the other, and you could come up with a way to keep more communities with things in common together without drawing these these strange shapes. No question. Brendan, I'm, I'm really glad you called and, uh, and gave us that example. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk with a Detroit artist about his new exhibit in town that explores life as a black man in America. And remember, we are asking you to read with us this summer. Search on Facebook for the Detroit Today Summer Book Club and join us as we read and discuss Matthew Desmond's book, Evicted, and talk about housing insecurity issues here in southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today.